0: What is up, everybody? This is Ryan from The Scale Up Show. I have an awesome guest. I have Ayal Yogev on today. Some amazing thing this guy has done. He used to work for the Israeli version of the NSA, crack the code on a problem that lasted for decades in terms of security, led product for a group at Cisco before he started his news ventures. Absolutely killing it right now. You're not going to want to miss this. He's talking about cutting edge technology and a crazy go-to-market strategy that are levering that's blowing them up. Don't miss it. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome everybody to the Scale Up show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Ayal Yogev, who is the founder and CEO of Anjuna Security, who has basically been in the enterprise security space his entire career, started in the Israeli equivalent of the NSA, which is Unit 8200, was the VP of product at Umbrella, which was acquired by Cisco, and is doing some amazing things in the cloud security side. Ayal, happy to have you on the show, man. Welcome. Thanks,
1: Ryan. Happy to be here.
0: Yes, um, it's cool, man. So let's let's do a real quick revenue rundown just so everybody has some quick context in terms of where you're at in the journey. So where are you guys at in terms of your AR?
1: So we're uh, mid seven figures. OK,
0: excellent. And then what's your primary go to market strategy for revenue growth?
1: Yeah, we're doing uh, essentially direct uh, direct enterprise sales. OK,
0: excellent. So direct enterprise sales. Are you is that like an outbound motion? Are you combining it or stacking it with other demand areas at all or just primary outbound
1: yeah it's it's well it's mostly mostly outbound. Uh, we have a uh, enterprise sales team you know talking to customers most of our customers are um so the g two thousands and um, you know government uh, types of organizations. Uh, we do have, obviously, a marketing team that drives uh, inbounds as well uh, and, and does uh, demand generation. But the sort of classic, you know, enterprise sales motion um, that we all know and love. Yeah,
0: I love it. That's uh, my jam, man. Live that life. <laughs> there's uh, there's yeah. awesome things about the enterprise motion. There's gut-wrenching things about the enterprise motion. But we're, we'll only talk yep. about the good stuff today, right? Uh, so, so talk to us about your solution a little bit. Exactly. Like, what does it do and who does it serve?
1: Sure. So uh, at a high level, we're a cloud security company Um, and one of the sort of the benefit of the cloud, right? The reason to use the cloud is that somebody else is managing your infrastructure, uh, which is phenomenal, but it creates a huge security problem because if somebody else is managing the infrastructure for you, it means that they have full access to your data and your uh, code running on top of that infrastructure. Uh, and that is actually what's preventing a lot of organizations to move more uh, workloads to the cloud or to even start using the cloud to begin with. Uh, and at a high level, what we do is we enable organizations to move any workload, uh, any any application to the cloud with complete security and privacy so that you know, the clouds themselves don't have any access to their data. If the cloud is breached, nobody's going to have access to their data or workloads. Or if a government comes in with a subpoena, they can't do it through the cloud vendors. They have to go directly to them because the clouds don't have any access to their data. Uh, and essentially, this allows them to, to use the cloud more.
0: Okay, I love that. So obviously, a, a massive need for it, Pre- pretty straightforward. And you said, you said um, government and is it like Fortune 2000? Is that what I heard you say as well?
1: Yeah, so global 2000s, governments, uh, and we also sell to, uh, to ISVs, to software vendors as well. Uh, a lot of the SaaS solutions essentially need a solution to be able to uh, as tell our customers, you know, we as a vendor don't have access to your data within our platform. So that's another use case that we see quite often.
0: Okay, excellent. All right, so we went through your solution. How large is your team right now?
1: Yeah, so we're about uh, 75 people. Um, out of it, it's uh, just over a third is in the uh, sales side of the house.
0: Okay. Wow. So you got a big, big sales team. Uh, so, and you mentioned you are um, mid seven figures. You're, you're funded or bootstrapped?
1: Uh, we're funded. We um, were a series B company. Our last round was uh, led by uh, Inside Partners. And that was about a year ago.
0: Okay. Excellent, man. Well, good timing on the round. Yeah <laughs> So I like what's yeah. your what's your backstory? I know I gave you a real brief version version of it, but like I mean, obviously you've been in the security market for a long time. We just love to hear kind of how you got to the point, got to this point, how you decided to fund found the company, and uh, let's just share that with the uh, the listener.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, so as you mentioned, I, I started uh, so enterprise security is essentially all I've done in my career. I've been there for over twenty years, which is crazy to say. Um, I started in uh, Unit 8200, which is the Israeli uh, equivalent of the NSA, Uh, and after a few years there, I moved to the private sector and spent most of my career in product management roles in enterprise security companies. Um, I was at Imperva uh, for the three years leading up to the IPO. Uh, I was at Lookout, which is a mobile security company, uh, OpenDNS, that I think you mentioned, Um, uh, and after the Cisco acquisition, I was essentially running the product management organization for Umbrella, which was the uh, cloud security solution for, for Cisco. Uh, and, and the reason I, I started this company is uh, again, I've been in security my entire career, and every time I ran into a security problem, when I kind of peeled the layers of the onion to get to what, what is the core problem, either a problem that we had or problems that our customers uh, had, in many cases we ended up running into that into the same issue, uh, and that issue was how do you protect data while it's at, when it's being used by an application, right? Because when an application needs to process data, even if it's protected, even if it's encrypted. The application has to decrypt the data in order to process it. And at that point, the data is completely vulnerable. Uh, and I ran into that problem when I was at, you know, in, in, in the intelligence community. I ran into that problem in the private sector just to, as an example, one of the things that we've done at OpenDNS and Cisco uh, was we did something that's called TLS termination which essentially means uh, opening up the encrypted TLS traffic, the HTTPS traffic for our customers and looking inside the traffic to provide security to see if anything malicious was happening in there. Uh, but what that meant is that we had to have the key to, to unlock that traffic. Um, and, and that key, we were extremely nervous about holding those keys because if we ever got breached, that means that all of our customers got breached and that would essentially could have been you know, at the end of the company. This was a huge you know, problem if this, this ever happened. And we came up with this sort of very very you know elaborate you know uh, system to make sure it's protected, but you could never really protect it to 100 percent. There were always cases where the key was in the clear used by the application and it's not protected there. Um, so I kind of kept running into that problem uh, and what eventually happened was that uh, just as I was starting the company, uh, my co-founder who've known for over 20 years since our uh, Israeli intelligence days, uh, he just uh, did his. P- he just finished his PhD at Stanford, uh, and that's where he ran into this, you know, new solution called confidential computing that was being added to every CPU by the CPU vendors, by Intel, by AMD, uh, Nvidia, now ARM. Uh, and he got extremely excited by this, and he came to me, and I got very excited because I, I saw, you know, th- this was sort of finding a solution to the problem that I kept running into over and over and over again. And I knew how big of a problem this, this essentially solves within the security space.
0: Wow. Okay. And so, I mean, that's, obviously you went through the pain. How many years did you experience that? Like, so was it the entire, I don't know, you founded the company, what five years, 15 years of experiencing that where it's just like, there's no solution for this. This is frustrating. Is that kind of what you went through?
1: Pretty much, and again, a lot of what you do in security today is try to kind of bypass that problem. A lot of the existing security stack, a lot of how you do things, is trying to bypass that problem that just wasn't solvable. Uh, and finally, there's a solution for this. There's it got me very excited for two reasons. One is again, this was a problem that again everybody knew existed, but there was never a solution. So I knew a lot of you know things can be simplified. You know, a lot of the risk can be taken away by using this. Uh, but the other reason I got super super excited was. Security has always been this enabler of other things, right? Like if, if you didn't have the right security on the internet, you like nobody would share their credit card online. So you wouldn't have e-commerce, like Amazon wouldn't have existed if there wasn't sort of the security under, you know, the security infrastructure allowing you to share credit cards online. And what got me excited about this solution specifically is that this is as big of a change in security as, you know, the, the change that enabled you to share credit cards online. And what it opens up is just, Phenomenal! It's not not only is it going to change the existing security stack; it's going to open up different markets that just couldn't exist today because of the security and privacy concerns.
0: That's awesome! So, like, what kind of markets do you think it's going to open up
1: then? Yeah, the the one that is kind of very very immediate. So, to, to some extent, I, I think some of it we we can't even know just because like nobody could have foreseen Amazon when you know public in, infrastructure was invented. Uh, but one that we're seeing now uh, is something called multi-party compute. And it's, 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 it's super interesting because um, essentially the problem is, in many cases, organizations want to share data, but they, to, in order to, to, to do some processing or come up with a result, but either privacy or security doesn't allow them to share that data. And I'll give you one example. If you want to do a lot of you know, healthcare research… In many cases, it's extremely private data, right? It's protected, you can share it, but if you can actually have an algorithm to run on top of, you know, protected data, you can come up with amazing results that could be really beneficial to to mankind, right? Um, So this opens up the door to do this. Other example includes if you want to do anti-fraud, you know, so share data between banks and individual customers to identify fraud. Obviously, today with privacy and security, it's very hard to do so. But if you can somehow share that data without anybody actually sharing it without any other party, you can you can do that. You know, there's use cases in insurance. How do you do better underwriting by sharing data without actually sharing it with anybody? Or you know, using data from a lot of parties without actually sharing it with anybody else? So there's just a bunch of things that this opens the door to that just weren't possible without a solution like this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I. I can totally, especially, I mean, that's a, that's a great example with the healthcare, with all the, the lack of interoperability with different healthcare records, and I can see how that would span over into banking. Uh, how, I guess, like, how did you tactically create this? Like, what did you have to do to make that happen? Because if it's, it was such a big, unsolvable problem, like, and I'm not asking you to give your proprietary IP, I'm just, I know, like, curious, like, it. yeah, how did, like... How did you deconstruct it? Like what was the mental models and and frameworks that you used to try and
1: make that a reality? Yeah, so so essentially what sort of happened was that this is, what happened was a major shift, you know, that's sort of unrelated to us. It's a major shift in the architecture of of CPUs and, um, you know, essentially the hardware itself. what essentially? Let me kind of tell you the story because it's super interesting. Um, I don't know if you ever thought about, you know, uh, uh, how your data is protected. You know, how your fingerprint or face ID is protected on your phone. You know, it's biometric data. It's extremely, extremely sensitive, right? You can change your password, but you're not going to be able to change your fingerprint. Uh, but the phone is something that you carry around, right? You, you can lose it. How do you make sure that if you lose your phone, somebody's not, you know, can take take out your fingerprint or face ID? Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, the solution is something called confidential computing. It's this something that was added to the CPU itself that's used within the phone that guarantees that even if somebody gets physical access to the device or you know root access, whatever level of access they get to the device, they're not going to be able to get that that information. Uh, so that all started in 2013, uh, and what happened by 2015, the CPU vendors, so Intel, uh, AMD, uh, realized that this is going to be even more powerful on the server side. Because as much you know as, as fingerprint is sensitive information the the data in, in the server side is even more you know is even more sensitive in many cases so what sort of happened was that all the CPU vendors have added these capabilities into their CPUs uh, and then uh, as you know as we're kind of getting towards 2018 and 2020 all the cloud vendors, adopted these hardware solutions to provide security and privacy for their customers. Basically, they've adopted these solutions because they knew security and privacy was the number one and number two barriers on moving more workloads to the cloud. And they wanted to do two things. One is to turn to their customers and tell them, you know, use this and we don't have any access to your data Uh, on top of our infrastructure. And the the, the other thing they wanted to do is turn to the government and tell the government, you can't subpoena us because we don't have any access to to our customer's data. You want access to to our customer's data go directly to the customer. Uh, And where we fit into this is every time there was a major architectural shift in in the hardware, you needed a software stack on top of it to enable it, to make it simple to use and to make it ubiquitous across the different hardware solutions. And the last, you know, great example was what VMware did for virtualization. You know, virtualization was this amazing technology that was very clear was going to change the world of compute, right? Like you wouldn't have the public cloud without virtualization. Um, But this was virtualization wasn't really used because it was so difficult until VMware came along to build a software stack to make it super simple. And then within a few years, everything was virtualized. Uh, And this is exactly what's happening now with this world of confidential computing, extremely powerful technology, you know, it's going to change the world of security, it's being adopted by every cloud, but it's very, very difficult to use. And every cloud is using a different underlying hardware technology to go implement this. And what we've done is we build a software stack on top of it to make it super simple to use and ubiquitous across the different solutions in the different clouds.
0: Gotcha. Okay. You're, You're dangerously close to talking way over my head. So I'm not going to dig too much <laughs> further down, <laughs> but I could I, I definitely have the core understanding of what you're talking about. And you know, that's, that's really cool that you took the jump. And I think this is a great explanation too, from like facial recognition on an iPhone and, and how to, how that's kind of evolved. So I, that's something I never knew that it kind of went through that process. So that's extremely interesting. So let me ask you this, like with this space, highly technical you know, what's your number one strategy for growing the company right now?
1: Yeah, so essentially the, the sort of two kind of motions happening in parallel on the go-to-market side. Um, obviously, one is this, you know, enterprise sales that were, uh, um, you know, the team that we're building and growing. Uh, but then what really helps us grow even faster is that we've partnered with uh, AWS, with Azure, and they're helping us get into opportunities uh, where they this, this just allows them to essentially sell more cloud every time they have a customer that's blocked by you know security or privacy uh, to move a workload to the cloud or to even you know start using the cloud to begin with uh, we can come in and help with that um, and I'll give you one sort of very very simple example uh, one of the challenges the, the, that the um, uh, the, the clouds are running into now is that I, a lot of company, a lot of countries want to use gov, cl- gov cloud for their, you know, for their government use cases, and it makes sense in some countries to create a gov cloud, but in some countries it might not make sense because the sort of the economic inv- investment is too large for the potential value for the clouds. So using the commercial cloud with a solution like this with confidential computing is essentially uh, the right way to create the privacy and security that these governments need. Uh, but get all the benefits of the public cloud. So these are sort of the type of opportunities that are now being created in this market, which again, is, is just enormous. And this is what allows us to grow you know, even faster. So we partner with the cloud vendors. Uh, we also partner with uh, software vendors like uh, database vendors or key management vendors, where they have customers that want to leverage their uh, technologies in the cloud, but security or privacy is what's preventing them to do so. So we're working with them to get to their customers. And all these basically allow us to grow very very fast
0: oh yeah i can imagine so like i I think that's a great so you you have kind of a combination and your enterprise sales team are they they're performing outbound right and then you have the partner side so you're almost taking like an integrated marketing approach which is awesome because like it's a blocker to them selling more so they have to love you because it's basically covering that objection right so yeah okay so that totally makes sense so, so, what would you say is your number one ninja skill that you do potentially better than anybody else, anybody else in the world, right? Which, which sounds extreme, but you're obviously extremely talented with everything that you've done. What would you say is your number one ninja skill?
1: I don't know if I do better than anybody in the world, but the one thing I think is super important, at least for, for me and my role and what I'm trying to kind of be extremely good at, is I think is uh, is hiring. I think hiring the best people the best people on the planet and letting them kind of do what they do best is extremely, extremely important to building a super large organization. Um, and that's that's what I'm trying to do, just find the best people that I can, the best people in the world, and just, you know, let them come in and make sure they kind of remove every obstacle from their way to allow them to be awesome. And they like, in their domains, they know much, much better than me. There's nothing that I can teach my, you know, VP of sales on sales. There's nothing I can teach my, you know, uh, VP of marketing on marketing. Uh, But I can, but I can kind of move out of the way and let them be awesome.
0: So, and I I think obviously that's an amazing uh, skill to have. So like, what's your mental framework though? You apply when you're, you're hiring because that's, that's, you know, that's gotta be hard for a lot of people to do. Right. So like, what's your approach to it? How do you find them? Just walk us through that and, um, you know, maybe three to five steps if you could.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Um, I don't think I'm doing anything sort of different than what other people would do. I, again, to, to me, this is just extremely extremely important. So, what one thing is, I don't I don't compromise, right? I, I much rather wait another you know another quarter or two quarters for the perfect you know for the perfect uh, fit versus hiring somebody sort of too soon that's not the perfect fit because I think you end up you know paying a lot more for you know for bringing somebody who's not the perfect fit. Uh, and then the other thing that I'm really really that I really care about is not just the sort of the, the skill set itself, which I think is extremely important, but also there's a uh, um, sort of a cultural fit aspect. And some people might be amazing at what they do, but if they don't have the right cultural fit, you know, with the company and with the rest of the team, they're not going to be successful. Uh, So finding that right culture fit is extremely, extremely important. And I spent a lot of time making sure that they're going to be a good cultural fit for the company.
0: So how do you do that? Do Um, Do you do like group interviews, like have them interview with like, Five six people. Do you have them take them out to dinner and like? Do you deconstruct their value system? I mean, like, how do you approach it?
1: So it's essentially all of the above. So I I, I talked to them about this, and it's really important to me to understand kind of what they're looking for, what their view of culture is, how do they manage people, how do they work with peers, you know, to just understand kind of their uh, sort of value set in terms of in terms of company culture and, and how they like working with people. I make sure that you talk to as many you know to to many people from. Just the executives, I want them to talk to the other executive team, see, you know, how well do they, you know, do they mesh, How well do they work together? Um, I do, you know, I try to just take them out to dinner, you know, get, talk to them in sort of a more informal setting. Uh, and then the other thing that I do is I um, usually as a last step, uh, it's almost like this exercise where they come up with a presentation and come, kind of present it to the team and answer questions. And it allows me to see them both on sort of the professional side, but also how do they interact with the group setting and what I'm trying to do as part of that presentation is actually kind of help kind of walk. It's almost like a mini exercise where we kind of work together on a mini project. So we see what's the interaction between us and how well we work together and how well they, you know, they receive feedback. Do they understand the feedback that I'm that I'm providing them? Basically giving us a chance to, you know, work together a little bit before uh, making a decision.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a really solid framework because you got the uh, the emotion. I mean, you got a lot, right? You got situational... In terms of the group, you have kind of the working dynamic skill set with the project. You got emotional intelligence when they're outside of the work environment. So, a lot of great things you're hitting on there, IL. So, um, so I guess a couple of quick questions, then we'll wrap up because I know we're on time. So, you know, I guess and one quick question I had as a follow-up, right, um, is... You said you'd rather wait, right, and make sure you find the right person. Do you feel like that's hard to do considering your venture back?
1: Um, not, not really. Um, I think a lot of we, you know, we can get into that. But a lot of, I think one of the most important things that a CEO has to do is manage the relationship with the board. And this is something mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time making sure that, you know, my, I think the the investors need to know exactly where you are, where you're making, you know, specific decisions. I'm trying to talk to each one of my board members, you know, once, you know, every, every week or once every two weeks and have them know exactly where the company is. I like don't hide things from the board. They know exactly what the sort of the good things, what are the bad things, what are the challenges. Uh, and then... And having that type of relationship allows us to have, you know, real conversations and to know, you know, to 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 understand the decisions that I'm making and what are sort of the the impact of those decisions. And as long as you have basically the, the, you know, trust from your board, then you can make these decisions. They know that what you're doing is sort of for the best interest of the company. And they know that you're closer to this than than they are, right? They're sitting on a bunch of boards uh, um, and you're, you know, you're the CEO, you're the closest to this. So once you have the right relationships, uh, it's never been an issue.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you probably thought you were bored more than anybody else that I've, uh, that I've interviewed, at least, I mean, I haven't asked them this specific question, sure. but, um, obviously you, you have a lot of trust with them bi-directionally, right? If, if, if you're talking to them that much and communicating, which is great, yeah. right? It sounds yeah, it's like fine. an awesome environment. Yeah, so it's, it's heard what would you say? What's that?
1: I uh, said so I've heard this amazing statistic that the um, average uh, length of a relationship between a uh, startup CEO and um, his or her investors is longer than the average, you know, length of a marriage in the U.S. So again, this is an extremely important relationship with investors. Uh, so yeah, been oh really? a lot of time. yeah, huh.
0: longer than a marriage. Well, I guess we're we're what at fifty percent now divorce rate. Right? <laughs> <So, laughs> exactly. Um, that's really interesting. I did not know that. So great stat. Great, great little nugget bomb you dropped right there, Al. Yeah. So, sure. um, so let me ask you this, and then we're we're gonna have to wrap um, shortly. But what would you say is the single biggest challenge that you're running into growing right now as a company?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say. Oh. Let me kind of answer it high level and we can, but, but essentially the, to me that the best companies is all about, it's not the sort of the best ideas. It's not, it's about execution and just execution is key. And to me, one of the challenges is we've grown, we essentially started selling, you know, the the beginning of this year. So we're, you know, we, we spent, this is a very technical, difficult product to go build. And we spent, you know, a few years building the product and kind of, you know, working with design partners, getting the feedback, but essentially we started selling this year and the company completely transformed in the last six months. And and this means as, as you kind of grow very, very quickly, uh, there's a bunch of challenges that come along with that, you know, communication challenges, you know, culture challenges. There's a bunch of, you know, changes that you have to manage through. Uh, and to me, that's, you know, managing these correctly, making sure that the company kind of grows and is successful and you kind of the, the sort of the amazing, you know, kind of core that you've built can expand as the company expands. I think that's the the biggest thing that I'm focusing on right now yeah totally
0: makes sense, man. Well, it was awesome having you on the show. really appreciated the depth of of what you went through and how you kind of got to this point and the fact that you turned like a lifelong frustration into a solution because uh, it takes a lot of courage and energy and emotion to like power through and and bring it through the other side. So congrats on all your success there. Where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Anjuna security? and then we'll we'll wrap it up.
1: Sure. So um, uh, we're at Anjuna.io. Uh, so come to our website. I'm at Ayal, uh, A-Y-A-L at Anjuna.io. So hopefully to reach out to me directly. And yeah, I'm happy to help anybody to uh, move workload to the cloud or create extra security and privacy. Awesome.
0: Well, thanks for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you. And we'll see you all in the next episode. Thank you for checking out the Scale-Up Show.